Hi guys, welcome to Design Untangled. First of all, sorry this episode's a bit late, but me and Carla both got ill when we were meant to record the last episode, so it didn't happen. But hopefully we've made up for the lateness with this episode, which is an interview with Dan Harvey from The Dots. Uh, We did something a little bit different this time in that we recorded before we got to the interviews, strolling around London. So it's quite cool to hear kind of the background sounds if you've never visited London or even if you have. So we quite liked doing that. Let us know what you think. The other thing to mention is the sound quality you'll notice during the interview gets a bit worse midway through. That's unfortunately because my mic ran out of space, so we had to switch to the backup recording, but still definitely listenable, hopefully, um, and worth sticking with just to hear what Dan has to say. So stick with it till the end. I think you'll definitely get some value out of it. And let's hit the streets. So what are we doing? Where are we going? So we are walking to Protein Studios. (laughs) 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 A protein shake. Um, and we're going to interview Daniel Harvey. Mm-hmm. Um, and who is Daniel Harvey? Who is he? He is, uh, I think he's actually quite famous, maybe because I know him, but I think he's, um, he's a keynote speaker, like he's a writer as well. He's been actively working in the US and the UK on like um, transforming the design and creative community. So yep. I met him back at Sapien. Sapien Nitro, um, and I got invited to one of his events once at the Dots, and the Dots, I think what they do <laughs> is that they help designers with like job hunting, which yeah. is really cool, I think we have to go right here, um, and they, um, yeah, so they basically have a platform where you can upload your CV and folio, and they basically find like they connect you know design companies or companies looking for designers as well yeah they also do quite a lot of events helping out designers with the portfolio so i was in one of them as a mentor um and basically what happened in that event is that people come and they show you your folios and they ask you questions and also they're trying to get a job as well yeah um so yeah so it's they do quite good stuff, so we're going to see what, what they're up to and what Dan is actually doing there. And we're going to learn lots from him. He's, he's a really, really good and known designer, so hopefully it will be good. Yeah, it should be good. So we're just walking, where are we now? Commercial Street. Yeah, Commercial Street. Just recording some ambience on our yeah. stroll you from interviews. Really Why English people, English guys mainly, walk so fast? This isn't fast. I'm going at like quarter speed now. <laughs> I know, actually, almost running. Is it because my legs are short? <laughs> yeah, I think so. All right, just walk at your normal speed and then I'll see how slow that is. Is that your normal speed? Yeah, that's my oh normal speed. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you're late for everything. I'm not late. <laughs> yeah, I am late for everything. No, am I? Yeah. Yeah, so it's a nice chilly autumn evening. I don't know if this yeah. is interesting to <laughs> listeners or not. Probably not. Probably not, but we'll do it anyway. So where's our next start-up going to be? We might as well do them all now. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, cool. Oh, well, we got got some tunes now as well. Maybe this is the new intro music. Oh, yeah, we should change that music. I really hate it. Dan, <laughs> Dan, it's too aggressive. Yeah, but it's an aggressive podcast. It's not. <laughs> I don't think it's aggressive. 
much nicer, but maybe he should do it. Yeah, let's hire him on the way back. We are at the Dots today with Dan Harvey, who is Head of Product and Design. Um, so welcome to the podcast, first of all. Thank you. Um, so yeah, maybe just to kick off, if you could tell us just a bit about yourself and your background. Sure. Um, I got into digital uh, in the mid-90s when everything was massively wild west and there were no programs training people on how to do anything. So. Uh, since there wasn't the academy behind it and degrees associated with it, uh, people got hired into roles based on uh, less about skill set and more about sort of personality and sort mm-hmm. of related skill set. Uh, so I have an arts background um, and segue from early roles uh, in QA departments and doing usability stuff into a role as an interaction designer uh, pretty early on, and then uh, moved up the ranks into very senior roles like executive creative director, chief creative officer, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of that time was spent in New York at RGA, uh, and then in uh, 2012, uh, my partner and I uh, decided to throw all caution to the wind and moved to London, and I took a took a role at Sapient Nitro, Mm -hmm. Um, and then after being there for a few years, uh, realized that because of the the sort of tug of war between agencies and consultancies that I kind of wanted to see what life was like at a smaller independent agency before Mm -hmm. they all went away. Uh, so I, I spent uh, about a year as Chief Creative Officer at Zone, uh, and then when Zone got acquired by Cognizant, uh, decided to shift gears yet again and uh, took the Head of Product Design and Brand role here at the Dots. Cool. So I guess that leads nicely on to the next question then, which is, what is the Dots? What's its kind of mission statement? Sure. Um, so in, in a nutshell, uh, companies, uh, publications like Forbes and TechCrunch like to call us LinkedIn for creatives, uh, which is, I guess, fantastic shorthand, uh, but also makes some people go, ew, LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, actually, LinkedIn, uh, despite uh, all jokes to the contrary, um, is, is great for the audience that it's targeted at, uh, you know, sort of white-collar workers, uh, sort of Mm CV-based kind of skill sets. That's not who we're built for. Uh, The the DOTS is aimed at um, a group that we like to call no-collar workers. Mm -hmm. Um, And these are professionals who um, job hop a lot rather than climbing a job ladder. Uh, They are people that have creative skills as their sort of dominant forte rather than sort of more managerial or clerical ones. Uh, there are people who have skill sets and roles that are sort of constantly evolving mm-hmm. um, and they often sort of value purpose over paycheck. Uh, and so uh, that means that 
you know, we're attracting a lot of people who tend to be younger uh, and, and audiences that are uh, a lot more diverse than a platform like LinkedIn. So, you know, we're a diverse community by design. Uh, we've got about 68% of our audience is female, 31% uh, is BAME, 16% uh, is LGBTQ+. Uh, we've got a lot of effort on the platform around socioeconomic diversity, mm -hmm. neurodiversity, uh, and the like. And we've got um, you know, hundreds of thousands of members on the platform, uh, and we work with uh, about 10,000 brands. So that's a lovely combination. It's that's good amazing, story. isn't it? I'm, I'm really, really excited to have you in our podcast because... Um, you know, I've heard a lot about what you guys do and what you do as well. And you've been working with, like, you've been volunteering for quite a long time. And I guess this was a kind of a link to that, wasn't it? Like you started volunteering and then you realized you're doing a lot for the creative community. And then you realized you wanted to do that, like, for your job. That's right. Uh, and that's uh, super insightful that you've picked up on that because a lot of... A lot of what I've done uh, in the last several years is specifically around uh, changing the ratio in, in the creative industries, particularly uh, in, in the sort of agency and consultancy world. Um, at, at Sapient, I was involved in uh, a lot of um, efforts, that, gender diversity efforts there. Uh, it was on the back of that that I met Allie Hannon at Creative Equals. Uh, she kindly asked me to come on as an advisor there. Um, Creative Equals, if you're if you're not familiar, uh, is kind of the industry kite mark around uh, gender equality and gender mm -hmm. diversity in the in the creative industries. Um, when I was at Zone, I was very proud of being able to help shape the creative department there to be 50/50 uh, gender balanced at all levels of yep. the company. So not it wasn't just sort of bootstrapping a lot of young people. It was at, at very senior levels as well where we had that diversity. Because um, you do see that at companies, right? They've, the gender kind of mission sort of stops as soon as you get to a certain level of hierarchy and above that it's kind of like, yeah, we'll just leave it as it was. It's, 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 it's a big thing. Uh, and there are a lot of issues wrapped up into that. Um, um, and, and yeah, they're definitely sort of I've seen some agencies that have sort of glass ceilings at the Associated Creative Director yeah. tier, uh, which is, again, why I was so proud of, of what uh, the, the sort of shape of zone and what, what we were able to do uh, in the brief time that I was there. And, and it's funny, you know, it's... Um, but you do spend an awful lot of time when you're, when you're committed to efforts like this of doing that in your, in your spare time versus juggling the sort of day job and to, to Carlos point when I had the opportunity to uh, it was a bit of a random opportunity as well but when when Pip asked me if I was interested in coming on board it was like absolutely because then the the day job and what I care about can be perfectly aligned that is amazing yeah. I, I think for me that would be the dream yeah. um, but how is that change like when you move from consultancy and agency which you know I've been part of for many many years into a more like a startup, small, a smaller agency, or a smaller not agency, a smaller like setup. Um, what are the biggest challenges? What are the pros and cons, basically? 
that is, having done this for a little over a year now, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. Um, but uh, it is interesting. So uh, prior to me coming on board, the design activity for the platform uh, was, was, was done by uh, an external agency. Small, small agency, a bunch of great, uh, great people there who uh, basically do work for startup companies. Uh, but that was obviously a bit of a struggle for the for the team here because that meant that you sort of had to raise money and then invest mm-hmm. in that group and a lot of back and forth. And so uh, I came on board uh, and then um, quickly brought on board. Um, Joyce Lee from, from Us2, uh, fantastic uh, product designer, uh, also product owner for, for Mood Notes, um, which is a fantastic app around mental health, um, and Nadine Grant uh, as, as our sort of junior designer who had spent time working, uh, doing internships at companies like Made by Many, uh, Apple, IDEO, etc. So my sort of first mission was to build up a world-class design team, and it's like, all right, well, now that that's done, let's, <laughs> let's get to work. Um, uh, and we've uh, been been blessed to have uh, Raquel Sacristan to, to join us recently, uh, as Nadine has moved back into uh, education to get her master's degree. Um, but there are lots of different lots of differences between designing for agencies or consultancies and designing for a, for a startup. Biggest difference is obviously that you're uh, you're you're living with what you're designing, right? So it's not just about sort of, um, you know, laboring for a couple of months and then hoping move on to the next thing. Exactly. <laughs> so so the you know the kind of variety that brings people into agencies is is different, but you're offsetting that by a, a real commitment and ongoing sort of. Uh, tenacity to sort of see things through to the, mm-hmm. to the next stage, mm-hmm. um, and that's fantastic. Uh, you don't have clients to blame when things go wrong uh, because your client is your boss <laughs> in a weird way. Uh, but yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around some of the some of the differences. Uh, there's definitely, um, you know, uh, you want things to to be. Uh, I'm going to, I hope you can feel the air quotes through the recording, <laughs> you want things to be pixel perfect, but you're also, you know, having to ship quickly mm-hmm. uh, because it's not, you're, you're not spending a client's money, you're spending your own money. Yeah. Um, and you need to see results uh, far quickly than a lot of what comes through agency and consultancy worlds. So as a kind of sort of creative industry as a whole, what do you think the main kind of challenges at the moment? What's what's kind of disrupting it? I've seen you write about Brexit in some place, so quite interested to hear your thoughts on how that's affected, you know, design as a community. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think, I think design benefits from empathy. Uh, and I think the best way to, uh, to sort of, have that is to be surrounded by multiple points of view, multiple perspectives, uh, and obviously, I think with uh, with something like Brexit, that sort of it becomes a, a potential 
very difficult challenge mm-hmm. to to that. Um, you know, at at Sapient, for example, uh, because we're it was a large sort of multinational global thing. Uh, our experience design studio was was uh, very sort of culturally and geographically diverse, um, uh, and and there are a lot of a lot of benefits to that, and and not just sort of, uh, but we'll see we'll see. I, I I hope I still hold out hope that um, London will remain as cosmopolitan as it mm-hmm. is today, um, and that. Uh, hopefully, um, our friends in the EU uh, won't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's tough, you know. Uh, had I been in the country for the People's March, I would have been at the People's March. Um, so your concern is we, I guess, we won't have as many of those kind of designers from different backgrounds representing designers of community d- d- different, potentially different backgrounds, yeah. different cultures, different. Uh, you know, sort of different different ways of designing, mm-hmm. uh, different mm-hmm. approaches to design, different contexts for design. Um, you know, uh, Joyce, who I mentioned earlier, uh, is is from Hong Kong, and the types types of references that we make are are different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we learn a lot from that. So yeah. that makes you definitely richer, like in terms of from a design perspective. Like I'm absolutely I agree with you. Sapien was full of people from all over the world. I was actually quite surprised that I found another three Colombian designers, which I never found that before, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, and that brings a very nice culture, like, you know, studio culture, as well as the variety of thinking. Yeah. So I want to ask about, now that we're talking about a little bit about the present and the future, um, what are your thoughts about UX as a practice? And how do you see is already changing and will continue changing in the future? Yeah, well, I think, you know, as a, as a tribe, as a community, we're always, uh, in some respects, even to our own detriment, we're always obsessed about what to call ourselves. ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's and so I think, true. I think uh, Mike Montero uh, said, it, said it best. Uh, when he said, uh, you know, you, you might be called a UX designer, you might be called a business designer, you might be called an information architect or whatever. Fuck it. You're a designer. If it was good enough for the Eames, it's good enough for you. Uh, and I think there's, a, there's, there's something liberating about that. Um, I also acknowledge that part of the reason why we do that kind of obsessive navel-gazing is financial in respects uh, in that you know there's definitely a demand for roles like UX designer and product designer and service designer right now uh, and each of those carry different salaries associated with them and um, skill sets are similar but different and I think that's that's the that's the thing that's so magical about our community is that we're a big tent, and we have people who are good at some parts of the role, and other people are good at different parts of the role. And um, you know, I think it depends on, on on where you go as well. So I think you know, big 
big agencies, big consultancies can give you the opportunity to have kind of narrow specializations. Um, smaller agencies or startups, there's no room for that. You need to be able to uh, think strategically, be exceedingly well-crafted on pixels and everything in between. So, mm -hmm. so you have to... So in, at the dots, um, have you seen that trend happening with the people applying for jobs as well as companies looking for people? Do you say that now they're looking more like for like um, hybrids and you know designers who can do UI, UX more than the specialisms? That's a, that's a great question. Um, and I think you know internally, obviously we need, we need a we need people who are product designers, so robust sort of hybrid designer like you were saying. Um, but in terms of roles on the platform, we still see an awful lot of demand for uh, you know what, what you and I might think of as a straight up UX designer. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think there's I think there's there's demand out there for all sorts of different flavors and different. Members I think it depends on the company as well, right? Absolutely. Like a startup, for example, is going to be a lot more likely to look for a product designer, you know, because of the financial situation they're in potentially, and yeah, they need to work fast. Well, it's efficiency. So, yeah. It's efficiency, right? You can't, you can't have, uh, you know, the more people, the more sort of roles you toss into a mix, the more complicated process becomes. Mm -hmm. and, then you sort of, you know, what, what what might have been a beautiful, wonderful, agile thing sort of become risks becoming a slower, waterfally kind of thing, and it's uh, you know skills are important, and and I think it's uh, in terms of skills, um, you know, being able to prototype something, uh, whether that's uh, with with tools uh, like Pinnacle and Figma or uh, with within code or, or what have you is, is obviously uh, important. Uh, you know, I think s scaling that question up even more broadly, uh, how we how we design to take into account things like artificial intelligence and machine learning, the implications that uh, you know sort of more voice based behaviors and interactions, what that does to a, a UX designer. Um, how you know different shifts like that might put a greater emphasis on a on a different skill or new skill uh, like writing or product management or what have you. Uh, it's it's all sort of variable. Yeah, it's all possible. Yep. <laughs> that's the good thing and sometimes the bad thing about it, isn't that? Because <laughs> you don't know who you are anymore. Well, and I think that's the that's the other thing. So. Um, imposter syndrome is something else that I see uh, that, that sort of haunts our, our tribe and our community um, and I think that's just something that we just have to sort of realize it and, and it's not about it's not even about confidence it's just about knowing that things are that variable and the ground shifts from one project to the next and um, it's, it's like I said. It's not about confidence. It's about becoming comfortable with uh, it, that kind of flexibility and.
comfortable not knowing about something, I guess, as well, which in a way is like almost what a designer is. And should be, right? You should be the first person to raise your hand and say, well, I'm not exactly sure, but I'll learn. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, harkens back to what I was saying about sort of mid-90s Wild West culture. It's just... You know, we're as as designers, as as UX designers in particular, we're often like the the first people in the room to have a conversation about what the thing should be, um, and we're often um, you know some of the last people to to leave a room too because you know we're yeah the thing might be launched, but okay now we have to do the research to see if it's doing this that and the other, and you know it's just we wear so many different hats. We do. Got a very big hat collection. <laughs> um, so we've got quite a lot of listeners who are sort of early in their, I guess, career path or thinking of moving into design. Is there any kind of advice or tips you can give to them, I suppose, in order to prepare them for a life in design almost? Sure. I would say don't be scared about the last five minutes or so of the conversation. <laughs> Uh, because we are a big tribe, there will always be different different entry points and different things that people are sort of naturally good at or uh, inclined toward or predisposed toward. So focus on that, get really good at that, and then start to start to branch out to the to the related things that make sense for you to uh, sort of practice. And I think, you know, I think. In, in broad strokes, uh, having had a long career myself and having mentored people uh, for a portion of that time, I think it's just as in any sort of role, uh, but I think especially in, in, in design roles, I think you'll start by honing your craft, whatever that craft might be, uh, and then you'll eventually need to start to think about other related dimensions and it becomes this sort of Venn diagram of craft uh, thinking experientially uh, about about something thinking a bit more broadly about it but then also being able to um, think uh, and, and speak convincingly towards more strategic strategic dimensions and more business-minded dimensions um, and and I think that's that's super important but that takes time so yeah. I think as, as a junior designer, it's, it's all about majoring on the craft and, and really understanding, uh, understanding that. I think it's important to uh, be able to think, to, to be able to speak about the rationale mm-hmm. of your work. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's important to, uh, particularly in, when it comes time to sort of build your portfolio, yeah. uh, it's important to sort of be judicious. Um, you know, you're, you will always be judged by the weakest Piece of work in your portfolio, yep. uh, and that's one of the things that we do here at the Dots. We we hold um, monthly we call them portfolio master classes, uh, and they're uh, opportunities where we uh, members of the community apply to to be a part of the master class, um, and then uh, we have about ten or so mentors mm-hmm. who uh, are available that night and. Um, we sort of do group review. So one one mentor will have about four or so people at their table. Each person gets about eight minutes or so 
uh, to, to ask questions, review work, etc. And it's sort of like almost group speed dating yeah. um, in, in a weird way. But, um, you know, I think, I think those are all important considerations. Make sure that you're, you're showing work that you're proud of. Uh, make sure that you're showing your best work uh, and be able to speak about why. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the why is important. The rationale is important. Yeah, I was part of one of those sessions. I was a mentor once. <laughs> it's really interesting how, you know, different from a lot of different backgrounds, people from a lot of different backgrounds come in and showing their photos. And um, something that it was quite repetitive from the people coming to the session was like, I don't really have design experience. I, you know, come from being a cook or come from being a chef or being an accountant, whatever. How do I build portfolio if I haven't got any experience? And I gave him a few tips, but um, what would t- what tips would you give those people? Because we also have a Slack community, so we've got some um, junior people. Sometimes they're asking similar questions. So what do I do if I don't have the experience to be able to get a job in design? Yeah. Um, well, and I think that's that's another thing that's that's um, interesting about uh, dynamics in the, in the UK right now is uh, apprenticeships, internships are all sort of um, big factors as well. But I think even even for people, you know, one of the things that I love about the master classes is that you will see people like like the ones you described. You'll see junior people who have maybe had an internship or two under their belt. You'll see people fresh out of uni. Those are our most usual suspects mm. in some regards. But we also see periodically people who are actually reasonably far along in their careers who are coming to the master classes just to make sure they're still fresh and make sure mm-hmm. they're still sort of, uh, you know, interviews, portfolio critiques. Those are all skills. Those are all muscles, and you've got to keep flexing them and exercising them. Otherwise, you'll get rusty. Um, but but I think in terms of like people who have no direct experience um, and getting into the into the market, it's obviously uh, a bit harder than it was in the mid '90s when I fell into things. Um, but. Uh, but because there has now become an academy and you can have degrees in this stuff and there are tons of books written about the subject and all of this stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I think you, you you can start with, um, you can start with, I mean, my God, we, we it's, it's impossible to open medium uh, without seeing someone's hot take on how they would redesign something. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is the sole purpose of medium, really, isn't it? <laughs> that's, 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 that's an opportunity. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I'd encourage uh, people to, to, to look to internships, to, uh, to, to network and find those, find events like the master classes or meetups uh, to sort of find ways and, and opportunities where people might sort of be willing to willing to take a chance, mm-hmm. um, and you know, not everything has to be for Apple or uh, Google or, or whomever. There are design is here to help everyone, uh, and there are probably you know mom and pop shops or 
organizations and people's communities that would be that could need help and would be willing to uh, you know sort of take that chance, take that gamble. So yeah, I think there's I think there's always I think there's always room at the end. Yeah. I was going to ask about something that I'm actually working on um, myself, um, which is uh, public speaking. Since I joined Google, I've have to be I've been forced to speak to a number of people. Sometimes not knowing what I'm actually saying. Um, I, I haven't known what I've said in the last four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you obviously a keynote speaker. You've speak to a lot of in another a lot of events and I think it's really related to for a designer or a creative to have a brand and public speaking is it is a good way of doing it. So what kind of tips or you know um, advice could you give like to people who you know want to build that brand and want to do more public speaking but they're a bit terrified? Yeah, well uh, it's it's funny. <laughs> public speaking is you know, uh, I'm always terrible at sort of botching this, but, you know, in terms of things that people are afraid of, you've got death as, like, the number one thing, right? And then you've got public speaking as the second thing. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I, I'm lucky. I kind of have a weird theatrical background, um, I had uh, forensics and speech and debate activities in, in high school, um, so I'm not uh, not sort of inclined to to be afraid of it. Um, but but I am also soft-spoken, so I'm not one of these people who's got like a naturally big bellowy voice. I can't command a room uh, in in quite the same way. So you know, people have different ways of of engaging. Uh, and, and sort of drawing in an audience. There's one one great story about this guy who was, was for some some big tech company like a Google or an Instagram or something like that, uh, and was presenting at Cannes, mm. um, and was just botching it for the first ten <laughs> minutes, or, uh, and and could tell that he, that he had lost the crowd, never had the crowd, uh, but but he stopped took a moment to, uh, allowed himself a moment to regain his composure uh, and turned to the audience and said, guys, I have been totally screwing up for the last 10 minutes. I'd kindly like to ask your permission to start over. Uh, would you be willing to do that for me? And boom, everyone stood up, took notice, massive applause at the end. Uh, so, it, you know, it's, 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 insanely uncomfortable for a lot of people um, but I, you know talk about what you care about talk about what you know um, uh, I, I think there are you know there are there are ways to you know you sort of talked about building up a brand uh, you, you will get known for other things and that's what sort of leads to yeah. speaking um, and speaking opportunities, um, you know, bigger companies are always uh, looking for opportunities to uh, build their brand and to have people evangelize for, for their products and their services. Um, so, you know, there are, uh, I didn't really have 
any speaking opportunities while I was at RGA because those were sort of guarded by the C-suite and people like that. And those were the faces of the company. Uh, and that was it. Uh, but, but a company like Sapient, where there were literally tens of thousands of employees, um, they were often asking for people to, to sort of volunteer to, to speak at events and to be the face of the company and to do that. So the opportunities will manifest themselves in weird ways. Yeah. I think for me, this podcast has helped a lot because I'm yeah, not that afraid anymore. <laughs> I'm so famous now. I'm not. So I normally ask people, like, just to obviously give people advice, like, can you recommend a book, a podcast, a blog, or a person to follow? Could be or and, and if you have all the answers. Okay. Um, goodness. Um, I... I would say that um, I, I think again we we need a lot of a, a lot of for designers' brains to work. We need a lot of stimuli, right? So, uh, and I think sometimes it's great when that stimuli is from far-reaching places, right? So, I think um, you know, in terms of of people that. I think are just important to, to sort of listen to uh, on on Twitter. Arlen Hamilton mm -hmm. uh, is is fantastic. She's a venture capitalist, African American lesbian venture capitalist uh, who is uh, you know creating a lot of change in uh, in in the world by being able to fund a lot of different companies and so I think uh, I think she's fantastic I think uh, Cindy Gallup uh, is always uh, always a barn burner uh, and always talking about important things from from media to the whole sort of agency consultancy thing we were talking about before uh, my boss here Pip Jameson uh, is always talking about the things that we care about as a company um, and uh, was on the BBC recently, sort of talking about uh, socioeconomic diversity. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think start start there. I think find people that aren't just talking about design, but are yeah. talking about things that you care about. And then as a designer, you'll find the way to weave that into what you're doing. Yeah, I think that's some great Thanks. advice to end on. So thank you very much for talking to us. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Search and subscribe to Design Untangled using your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Follow us on the web at designuntangled.co.uk or on Twitter at Design Untangled. Become a better designer with online mentoring at uxmentor.me.